We're going to pick up right there with the people's answer to Joshua's challenge. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight. He protected us along all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove us out before us, all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. People said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and him we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with people that day and made statutes and ordinances for them at Shechem. Joshua wrote those words in the book of the law of God, and he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak in the sanctuary of the Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This passage is probably best known for choose this day whom you will serve. But before we get there, there's a little bit of a lead in. It's not just as simple as choose this day whom you will serve. There's, there's a long narrative and story to get there. And Joshua and God started way back at Abraham. And it struck me preparing for this sermon, this is not how we tell stories of faith. This is not how we tell conversion stories. That since then to now, the, the narrative has changed. The way we do it has changed. So think, for instance, of Saul, Paul, on the road to Damascus. He does not go back to Abraham when he gets to the next town and gets converted. He does, he does not tell the whole story. There is something going on different here than just the way we typically use this passage, which is to talk about an individual making a decision for Christ. There's something more going on here. So Joshua goes back all the way to Abraham and Terah and sets Abraham and Terah and Nahor up as, frankly, unbelievers at the start of it. They worshiped other gods beyond the river, you know, in that place far, far away. Um, once upon a time, a galaxy not so far away. And then they moved across the river all through Canaan. And then the language is very precise and very specific that God gave Abraham Isaac, and God gave Isaac Jacob and Esau, and God gave Esau, this land, and then Jacob and his family went down into Egypt. Now, we read that story. That's not quite how that happened now, is it? Jacob and his family turned on each other in, in dysfunctional family 102 with snotty little brat number one and older siblings and a pit and sold into slavery and down into Egypt and into jail, out of jail and holding a younger brother hostage to get dad to come see that he's alive. I mean, and as Joshua puts it, 
Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. He left a little bit out, right? And then Moses and Aaron, and I did these things in the midst of Egypt and brought you out. And then God starts to get a little more detailed about darkness and about waters and about Egyptian armies. And then God goes back to being vague. And you were in the wilderness a long time. Yes, a whole generation's worth, 40 years, give or take, a whole generation. And that's where some of this language gets really fascinating because Joshua is talking as though these people saw all of those things. He's using present tense. You saw the mighty acts that God did in our midst. Probably not. I mean, there may be one or two geriatrics who have survived from being really tiny at the time of the Exodus and have made it through and, and everything else and remember those things, but most of them probably not. There's intentionally been a long time in the wilderness, plenty of jokes about how if Miriam had been leading, she would have asked for directions and they would have gotten through the wilderness in much, much less than 40 years, all sorts of things like that. But I think that's an interesting piece to how we tell the story of faith. And in prepping, I learned that in Judaism, there's a concept that every Jewish soul was at Sinai. Every Jewish soul was there when the Ten Commandments were given. And you tell the story in present tense because it is your story. And that's not something we really do. We usually want to talk about once upon a time or when I was this age or when I was that or, you know, when I was 13 happens a lot. For some reason, that seems to be the time when we all come to Jesus. I mean, we need Jesus an awful lot when we're 13. But having been 13, I was not that wise at 13 to know that's what I needed. And so this narrative continues and Joshua goes through all of it. It goes through conquest. It goes through false prophets. It goes through talking donkeys. Um, to get to where they're sitting right there, it goes through Jericho's fall. It goes through war and loss and battle and victory. It goes through a reminder pointedly that you didn't do this. This was God. And that's when we get to the famous question, the famous line. And one of the things that happens there is that it is a choice. Joshua is offering them a genuine choice. Choose this day. You're going to serve somebody. Don't think you're in charge of your life because you ain't. But you're going to serve somebody. So who's it going to be? Is it going to be the gods of your ancestors beyond the river? Is it going to be the gods of Egypt? Is it going to be the gods of this land, or is it going to be the Lord? Pick. Let's be honest. Joshua has stacked the deck. He has not sung the praises of any of the other gods other than the God of Israel. He has an expected response, or at least I think a hoped-for response, um, and a pretty good stump speech. And then he says, and for me and mine, this is what we're going to do. We will serve the Lord. We will follow the Lord, depending on your, your translation of Scripture. 
And that's where we could just leave it. I mean, like if we were going to just hang it on the wall, that's where we'd leave it. That's where we always leave it because like, it's so nice. It's so neat. It's wrapped up as though we, we know there's an answer guaranteed. Let's be honest, people of faith. Is there an answer guaranteed that we're always going to choose to serve the Lord? Was there even an answer in the wilderness guaranteed that they were always going to serve and follow the Lord and choose the Lord? We want to go back to Egypt. There was at least food there. Why'd you bring us out? Were there not enough graves in, in Egypt for all of us? Come on. These are drama queen people. They are high maintenance. And they have not always chosen the Lord. And they're going to continue to not always choose the Lord. I mean, that's, as we read the rest of the story, that's going to happen a lot. So I don't know that Joshua is assuming that they're going to pick up what he's laying down. I think he's hoping that they're going to be smart and listen to the sermon. But the people go, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's like, yes. And Joshua's like, but no, you won't. No, you won't. You can't do it. You haven't been able to do it. You haven't done it. God is holy, and God's not going to forgive you for all the ways you keep messing this up. And then the people go, no, we will do it. I, I feel like this is reverse psychology with, with a seven-year-old. You know, you really, you really won't like this triple chocolate cake. So, like, you, you don't want any of that. You really don't want this. And then they say, no, this is what we want. And Joshua says, you're witnesses against yourselves. And witness is a really interesting piece of language to use there because that's what we use several thousand years later when we want to talk about how do you speak about your faith experience? How do you speak about what God has done? Well, we witness. We testify. And so there's, there's this oddity of language assembled there. But more than that, there's an echo, a forward echo there to what the crowd will do when Pilate is on the porch. Who do you want? Are you sure? And what do you want me to do with this Jesus of Nazareth character? Are you sure? Blood be on us and on our children. There's this, this odd echo in Scripture. It'd be so simple, you know, if they just said this on this day and then they were done, right? We're with, we're with the Lord. That's it. Straightforward. We're going to do it all right from here on out. I mean, that's, that's how it's worked in all of our faith lives, right? At some point, we made a commitment. And since then, we have never set a foot out of line. I think this silence is telling on that one. And so there is this thing where they're going to go in and they're going to, they're going to enter the land and they're going to fall short time and time and time again. We know that we've read the rest of the story. I think for us, part of what we've lost is the ability to tell the whole story or the longer story as part of our story. So when Joshua is testifying with these people, he is not just talking about his personal faith journey. 
He is talking about the history and the story and the community in a much larger scale and scope and inviting people into that. I mean, we've had the conversations over the years that if you've ever encountered somebody with a really dramatic conversion story and you don't have one, you kind of sit here and go, well, is mine not real? Is my faith not as good? Why doesn't God love me enough to make it that obvious? Got a friend, seminary a graduate as well, grew up in my home church who, who swears God took over his car radio one day and called him to seminary. Mine was not that dramatic. Mine was more like Chinese water torture drop at a time. And so you sit there and you wonder. But what we've learned reading these call and these covenant stories in the Old Testament is that very rarely is God talking to one person at a time. We tell the story as though it's about Abraham, but Sarah's got a little bit to do with this, doesn't she? And then Isaac is the whole point of it. I think we need to widen our conversation of faith and choose again to widen that conversation of faith over and over again because we don't know what we don't know until we tell the stories. Part of our Sunday school conversation this morning was how remarkable it is that they know the names of ancestors that far back. We realize most of us can't give you the given names of our great-grandparents. We don't even know our own family stories well enough to do what Joshua is doing for the people of God here. We may know that, oh yeah, they came over from the old world to the new world, and then their life was wonderful. Well, we don't know if they came over steerage or first class. We don't know if they stayed at the YMCA or if they had tomatoes thrown at them because they were Irish and the Irish were supposed to keep off the grass. You know, we don't, we don't, we've lost that part of the story because we don't tell that part of the story. We don't tell these stories. And that is a piece that Judaism has kept that we have somehow let slide. So if we were to go to a Passover Seder in a synagogue or a temple, there is a role for the youngest child. The youngest child there is always to ask, why do we do this? And then everybody else's job is to tell them. And in that way, the story gets brought on and brought through and brought along. I think the way that this loss manifests itself is, is really quite simple. The amount of people I know whose grandmother went to church there and that makes that their church is way too high. How did it get to be their church? What was the story of grandma's faith? What is the story of life and death and resurrection that played out in the life of a family, in the life of a community? How did we get here? And I think we've got to reclaim some of that because 
none of us have the whole story. You go to a family reunion and you tell a story and somebody else goes, that's not how I heard it. That's not how I remember it. And together we tell a very different story. And together we can offer a very different telling of God. Imagine if Joshua is just trying to sell the people on his, no, the Lord is holy and he's going to get you if you screw up. Well, I mean, that's got a certain, well, I still know churches that sell on that. Interestingly, Joshua is not selling on a future. Joshua is selling on a past. Joshua is not saying, choose the Lord and everything will be roses and you'll be saved and it'll be great. Joshua is saying, choose the Lord who has already been with you in all these ways. I think there's a power to stop stopping pretending that God only gets involved when we decide to invite God to be involved. Frankly, I don't have that kind of power, and I don't think any of you do either, to tell God what God can do. And so there is this piece here for us to tell a story that includes what God has already done. What has God already done? This part of the state over the years has seen mines collapse, has seen rivers flood, has seen fires and tornadoes. And we tell those stories on the monuments in our town squares, but they often don't make their way into our faith narratives. I think for us, the challenge is how do we tell more of the story? Because Joshua can't tell the story of that people without talking about God. I think as people of faith, we shouldn't be able to tell our stories without talking about God. We may need some retraining in how to do that. But that is how we get here. And so Joshua is asking them to choose, choose this day. But it is both a choice and it's a track record and it's a hope. So I think fundamentally for us, when we look at the next step, the next stage, the next decision, the next crossing over in our lives, when we think about choosing in faith, are we looking forward or are we remembering the story that has brought us this far? I think we would do well to look in the rearview mirror more often than we do. My prayer life over the years has often been looking forward. Hey, God, can you do this for me? Hey, God, can you do that for me? Hey, God, I got this thing coming up. And I think those prayers would be transformed if I had done a little more praying about what had already happened. So I think for this day, the challenge for us as the people of God, as we go into whatever is next, to remember how God brought us here and to not be afraid to tell all of those stories about how God brought us as individuals 
and as the body of Christ to the place where we are now. And then we decide who we're going with into the next thing. To God alone be the glory, this day and forevermore. Amen.